Hey, everybody. This is for Spotify listeners. Spotify has introduced a new rating system, so we just wanted to put out the word and ask if you might give us a rating if you use Spotify. Uh, if not, disregard this message and on to the show. <laughs> My name is Evan. This is Illiterate. My name is Taylor. I did some research this week. Oh, man. I watched some movies. This week, we are covering rom-coms. We wanted to cover Marry Me, and we wanted to do that injunction with Valentine's Day, but the timing just did not work out. We didn't want to just let the whole concept go, so we thought, why not let's just go ahead and open it up as a look back on rom-coms as a genre, look back on the peaks and valleys, the storied history of the genre. And so everything that's bringing us up to right. Marry Me. <laughs> kind of, yeah, the, the, the why this now of rom-coms, because it's been pronounced dead Again and again and again. There's and no heartbeat. <laughs> no, and, I, it's for real. I don't feel like I've seen a movie like this, marketed like this, but with the studio rollout mm -hmm. in what feels like a decade. I could be very, very wrong, but it feels like it's been quite some time that I've seen this kind of star power from this kind of studio in this way. Yeah. I, this is a, a picture that we've just lost sight of in the last, uh, the last decade, which is so interesting when it feels like it was so prevalent through at least my childhood. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of what I looked into is the chronology and whether or not it's actually true that time and time again, it's been Frankenstein <laughs> revived <laughs> put together. Because uh, as it's hilarious to me as I was looking this up, since the 70s, before the 90s resurgence that we know of with Meg right. Ryan and Julia Roberts and all that, exactly. said it was dead. And then Washington Post said it was dead in 2016. Variety How many genres have was we dead? covered yeah. where there was like a certificate of death? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we've done this before where we've gone back and, and covered yeah, how these genres peak and valley. They come back. They get reinvented. They wane and wax in popularity. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the work that I pulled from is also a book that just came out this past week by Scott Meslow, journalist called From Hollywood with Love, chronicles mm. more talking about very specific movies, but in this sweet spot of the 80s, 90s. So <laughs> Weirdly enough, I went back and watched a 40-minute making of, of You've Got Mail, oh, yeah. and then I went back and refreshed myself on Sleepless in Seattle because it's the one I have seen the less of the least yeah. of the Meg Ryan you know, Tom and, Hanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then I found the filmmaker that's really responsible for what in my head, the zeitgeist in my head that is rom-coms. I found the filmmaker responsible for it all. And I went, ah, this is my takeaway for today. So I'm, I'm not going to spoil that for now. I'm going to leave that. We'll we get, get, yeah, we'll get to all that. I just wanted to throw out a theory from me as to the scrutiny, why we're getting all this. Oh, it's dead. It's gone. It's toast. There is a unofficial law named after this author called Sturgeon's Law. Oh. And basically what it amounts to, what he said is 90% of everything is crap, a direct quote. So kind of the, the, way, quote. <laughs> the way that I think of this with romantic comedy stuff is in other film pieces, if it's a mediocre sci-fi fantasy action, even if the story is crap, there's at least the CGI, the action, maybe the concept itself is interesting, but it just wasn't right. put out in a... but. The 90% of everything is crap is true, but then with rom-coms, it gets so much more scrutiny oh, because in romance, it's it, you, it's the characters and why they can't be together, and there is none of the other fanfare around it. So if it's hard to attach to that, it's complete garbage, mm. but you might be able to get away with that. You know, It's like Green Lantern, the superhero movie, didn't completely destroy the idea of superhero movies being made. 
Right, right. So they did, yeah, they didn't. That didn't happen. And go like, oh, so superhero movies are not profitable. <laughs> <laughs> that very well did not happen in two thousand and eight. <laughs> right. So keep that in mind as we go through the ebbs and flows of this, and maybe. Well, why it I, has more I hadn't me. even thought about this until yeah. <laughs> I swear until Mary and me started getting advertised mm-hmm. and I went oh man I haven't seen something like this probably oh, probably since like Valentine's Day or something which is like 2011 or something I mean right. it's we're if it's not a decade old it's about to be a decade old mm-hmm. so <laughs> I'm just interested in this idea of can JLo and Owen Wilson <laughs> save the rom-com <laughs> Maybe not. We'll see where where it starts and the like where we talked with noir, the genre itself, maybe it's a style gets a little bit loose, but it has to have people falling in love in a light, humorous way. And the crux of the conflict is, will they get together or not in the end? Roots of this in theatrical traditions, Shakespeare, of course, right? All the tropes. He's. It's interesting that he's become so associated with snobby elitism, you know, theater, Shakespearean, <laughs> that kind of thing. But the rom-com was entertainment for the masses, I guess, for its time. Could be bawdy or salacious or sexual mm-hmm. innuendo, mm-hmm. not conservative or academic in any way. In my mind, when I think of like the earliest rom-com that I can name that like checks the boxes, mm-hmm. I go to s- some like at hot. But that's 1959, yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know how I don't I don't have any context for when it emerges in its form. If this is already um, you know capitalizing on on uh, ground gained through other films up to that time, or if right. if they're if they're striking a concept and then it started to catch on through the 60s, or you know I that I, I only have a reference from this again. I I know <laughs> I know the 80s, the 90s, and into the 2000s. Yeah. This is me stretching to go like, well, what do I know about romantic? comedies i go this is really it and so i don't even have any context for where it stands in the genre yeah so it starts from the very inception of films Mm. silent films although they were less romantic and more comedy with the physical gags because they had to put the dialogue it was more visual yeah yeah so 1924 two films came out sherlock jr with buster keaton and girl shy with harold lloyd girl shy if you wanted one that was less gags and more right. the character dynamics, but it does have one of his biggest action sequences of all time at the end. Oh, nice. Really, the rom-com doesn't come in until sound gets added in 28 with the talkies. And this, I looked into the first rom-com screwball comedy is called It Happened One Night in 1934. That could be the title for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I like that title. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It is based on the Shakespearean idea of the comedy of manners. So basically with Shakespeare, all of the adaptation tropes that we see up into the ones we all know in the 90s are utilized in Shakespeare stuff. So she's the man is Twelfth Night. Ten Things I Hate About You is Taming of the Shrew. Romeo and Juliet is Pretty Woman, et cetera, et cetera. The comedy of manners is the a little bit of the Romeo and Juliet, the different stations in life and will it work out. So it's about this wealthy woman who runs away with this out-of-work newspaper reporter who mm. needs a story, but she's uh, you know, spoiled and selfish and he's salt of the earth. But does he have an angle? Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. The way this came about was Columbia Pictures, the lesser studio the reject studio would even get actors that were loaned out because they were fallen out of favor with the other studios or they just mm. 
weren't doing anything but needed mm-hmm. a contract. <laughs> so not not the highest esteem. The actress Claudette Colbert, who plays the main female lead, said at the rap, I just finished the worst picture in the world. Oh. And uh, Clark Ouch. Gable Clark Gable was in it, and there was rumor that it was because he was on the outs with his studio, but it was the fact that he just wasn't doing anything, and they paid him his rate and a half so that they would recoup the other studio, uh, basically, wasn't going to lose money on him not doing anything. So it wasn't... Right. Uh, wasn't the best situation, although its impact just became huge. And this is sort of an urban legend, but in it, Clark Gable takes his shirt off and he's bare chested. And so the theory around it was that men's undershirt sales declined shortly after within. And it's kind of a, is it a cause and effect thing? Was it already falling out of favor? Was it the final, you know, the final thing that got men or was it because the Great Depression was in its heyday and people were just couldn't afford. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> Could have been all or any. But the other thing that definitely did affect it was the a, the Greyhound bus system features prominently in the plot because she's trying to really? run away and they're going. So bus travel increased nationwide. This became, and because wow. of the Great <laughs> Depression, again, people were looking for alternate ways to get around because hitchhiking then became hugely popular as well. Oh, that's fascinating. And in this, there's a, there's a big famous hitchhiking scene where Clark Gable is trying to get a ride with his thumb and it's not working. And Claudette, to me, it seems classic, but she hikes up her skirt and shows her leg and the car comes screeching to a halt. That, that, that trope of <laughs> yep. stick out your leg. <laughs> That's in this movie. And surprise of all surprises, nominated for five Oscars. Oh my gosh. Picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay. Wow! And it was an ad- <laughs> it was an adapted screenplay. It was based on a short story in a magazine. And what was crazy as well is that it won all of them. Won yeah. the bi- and that's the big five. That's the yeah. <laughs> the prime. Yeah, of that's the prime. no like a few a smattering of technicals <laughs> and some nominations. That's like those are the ones you want to get, and those, yeah. you want to get nominated for them. And then if you win one, wow, wow, it just swept. Yeah. So Claudette had such little faith in the film that she was in. She was on a train ready to leave, not even going to the awards ceremony. And they they had to yank her off the train and say, come up here. She was still wearing her her travel clothes. She didn't even have nice clothes on to receive the award and then just went back on the train. This idea of winning the big five has only ever been done twice before. One for one flew over the cuckoo's nest in the seventies. Wow! And then Silence of the Lambs. Wow. But those are the only three. So it was a big deal. It also had because this is one of the last, I think maybe the last rom com before the Hayes Code in thirty four. So this came out four months before the official enforcement of everything. Okay. And of course, there were social norms at the time, but they were slyly suggestive in the sense that they are in the same room getting a break and they put up this curtain in between them so that they're be- you know so that they can't see each other in their separate beds and then at the mm-hmm. end when they're truly in love and it's going to work out she comes around the curtain it's a shot of the curtain dropping and then a shot from outside and the lights go out yes and so there you go but then again also him taking his shirt off a lot of stuff that would not have been acceptable before the Hayes Code, but this slipped right in before that. Wow, so yeah. From then on, as we'll see, the era is kind of, it, it very much depends on how the culture is viewing sexuality and what's going on at the Absolutely. time that we get these ups and downs. You sparked 
something in in me talking about the 1970s and the cultural things that were yeah. going on. I just wanted to throw out a couple references for our audience. Yeah. So we were talking about you know the woman's place in society and then the blue collar workforce ideals matching up to yeah. to each other. That really bur- bubbling up through the 1970s. And so what, a couple films that just immediately came to mind is uh, number one, uh, a woman under the influence is a John Cassavetes film, mm. um, which is about exactly this is her blue collar husband and her um, uh, she's the, the the head of the household while he's off at work but it's the the daily life is just not working and it's in a, a modern contemporary breakdown of the of just yeah. a dysfunctional uh, American household uh, and then to match that with really the the undertones of the, the, of the unhappiness happening in the in you know the middle class the film mm-hmm. Blue Collar uh, by Paul Schrader is is a massive workforce you know union movie. Oh, really? uh, it's yeah yeah yeah. It's absolutely incredible. It starts with Richard Pryor and probably one of his like the like dramatic role from Richard mm-hmm. Pryor. And it's the screenwriter of Taxi Driver. So I just wanted to throw out a couple yeah. of those things as far as just a reference point for what was going on through the seventies. And so it's interesting that all those things bubbled up through you know <laughs> even, era, yeah yeah exactly and even and then even rear these things rear their head in in all sorts of genres but mm-hmm. yeah you, you just some light bulbs just went mm-hmm. off for me <laughs> perfect yeah so the what follows this then with the Hayes code but also people's interest in romantic comedy this is the first also screwball comedy so that's what this becomes is this genre the golden era of the screwball comedy is from 34 to 44. Right uh, as yeah, sound yeah. again is also being yes. added to film. So bringing up baby comes four years later oh, in yeah, thirty eight. Yeah. The big piece of this being with screwball comedies, the female character is the protagonist and hero. She really drives the story, and it involves a lot of the bringing back almost from the silent film era the visual gags, the mm-hmm. pratfalls, and comedy, and the allusions very subtly to sex and sexual tension gotcha. that you couldn't explicitly say. So for our modern audience, miscongeniality from 2000 is probably a modern oh, yes. example yeah. as close as you could get to an outright screwball comedy with romantic comedy to, aims. To tack yeah. onto my 1970s back towards <laughs> bit, on the screwball bit, another yeah. one that popped up is the uh, the Barbara Streisand, Peter Bogdanovich film, What's Up, Doc? Absolutely yeah. hilarious film. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich <laughs> actually just passed away, which we uh, came into contact with him at school. Yeah. But uh, a, a fantastic movie. Uh, if you ever have the chance to see that, if you ever see that title anywhere, uh, please yeah. go out of your way to check it out because it is fantastic. And I think the tagline for that movie was screwball comedies. Remember them? Yes, it is. Yeah, That's exactly it. Yes. <laughs> so that was probably the last one. But but with the screwball comedy, then we're getting into that era from kind of the 50s to the 70s. This is what I would call the sexual realm. Earlier on in the 50s, it's about stability in marriage, but still the difference between men and women that are often now professional rivals in terms mm. of the culture. The mm-hmm. Hayes code. The Hayes code is giving way into the 60s. Playboy magazine came out in 53. There is a, a more of an openness to this. And then in the 60s into the 70s, there is way more overt. You can overtly show things and even questioning right. love right. and sexuality. For example, in 67, The Graduate, not really even, I don't know if some people would even consider that a romantic comedy, but it's like, <laughs> who are we supposed to love? What is going on with partnering up? And on that note, yeah, uh, yeah. have you ever heard of the movie Rumor Has It? 
No, no. It's a 2000, I want to say 2002 film starring Jennifer Aniston, uh-huh. uh, which is a is an indirect sequel to The Graduate, reporting oh. that The Graduate is about a real Pasadena family. And so this movie is about the real family and the daughter in the center of it, realizing she might not be her her uh, dad's child yeah so it's a really <laughs> fascinating concept directly linked to that movie and, and you don't see very much like that where it's like you're making a an indirect sequel to a movie trying to pose as the basis mm-hmm. of the film <laughs> yeah so that kind of cynical questioning time period along with the availability of expressing sexuality in different ways in film brings up questions of does could true love even exist at all you know the classic right 77 Annie Hall does right. it end well or not these right. all of these things then so this is where we get to where we know now as the heyday mm. the, the 80s into the 90s the neo-traditional is how some people describe it romantic comedy yeah okay. so think about okay. our think about our original screwball comedy so it's the the space and time we're in in terms of film is a lot of experimentation which also is a good breeding ground because we have Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, the Coen brothers, they're interested in genre variety. Right. When Harry Met Sally, most people would say is the start of this neo-traditional movement in 1989. Yes. This is Nora Ephron, who you're talking about at the beginning. Who this did was the name it, yeah. I really discovered the, the the body of work I've always loved and didn't know. You know, yeah. I, I do this all, I do this often. Uh, you know, when I get interested when we do this show, I realize, oh, I love I love all of this work, and I realize it's all from really one person. <laughs> so that's what emerged for me going back and looking that she is. She's responsible for what I really imagine when I say romantic comedy. She's responsible for the zeitgeist in my head about mm-hmm. what that really is. I mean, yeah. she. Sleepless in Seattle, When Harry Met Sally, You've Got Mail. I mean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Writing and then directing for a few of them as well. She is the. Nominated for three Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a shame she didn't win one. But I mean, this is she's really the the gusto of Mm -hmm. the energy that I was acquainted with, you know, coming online as a human. (laughs) Yeah. She was originally journalist. She had written a book in the early 80s, a a fictional account of one of her relationships. She had done some Mm. screenplays and was meeting with Rob Reiner, who had just come off of Spinal Tap. Yes. (laughs) And he was, they were just chatting, a general meeting. He had an idea for a lawyer movie, but they realized months later as they kept the conversation, oh, we're more interested in the differences between men and women and a relationship movie. Five years later from when they first met was when the film came out. So it's not a flash in the pan, fly by night. We're just going to, it really marinated on making this idea yeah. come to pass. And then Pretty Woman came out the very next year in 1990. Wow. Yeah. So this era is not the dismissal of romance as it was in to the late 70s, but wanting romance. Yes. And it's very deconstructive in the fact that there's a lot of references to over-the-top romantic films and tropes, kind of like Scream in a way, like we talked about. Yes. There's a lot of movies. I think Sleepless in Seattle, they reference another romantic comedy, which I was not familiar with. But in general, people are versed in this. So Yes, the, the in both You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle, and I would even venture to say when Harry Met Sally, yeah. you know, they, there are, there's this 
on the edge, the peripheral uh, accoutrement has this romanticism back to the old romantic comedies mm-hmm. of like oh, this aspiring to that's what love is. So why, why if that's Gable. what love is, yeah. why don't I recognize it in my modern day, in my everyday now? And so when you find things like Sleepless in Seattle, it's a uh, a widowed husband looking, you know, yeah. thinking he's falling in love with somebody oh, through radio, um, mm-hmm. oh, through long distance. And then you, and you've got mail, you've got two people falling in love through email you know and, yeah. that, and that that's an adaptation of the of of a you know of a play that of, yeah uh, that, that went through several different you know, concepts but this this both of these a lot of her work hinges on this yearning this reaching mm-hmm. for this idealism of what romance is supposed to be but not understanding how to define that or find it in modern day yeah, um, it's very interesting that all of those things really are, are are prevalent through each one of those works. Definitely, as it ties into what's going on culturally, so many yeah. changes with techno. A lot of them <laughs> with Nora Ephron's definitely have to exactly, do with exactly. technology. But uh, in terms of the characters too, the, some of them are outright disdainful, but they want a second chance to get love right, or they're doing right. everything like you're saying in modern life that you should. But why? Yeah. So, like, if you wanted to update, you've got mail for the a new generation. You replace that that <laughs> that uh, mechanic with Tinder or some sort of you know that it, yeah. it, that would be an example of how a bad doing it badly. An example of how to update it for a new uh, and a, yeah. a, a modern audience. So this genre booms in this time. Some numbers in 1998 and 1999. Three of the top 20 highest grossing films were rom coms. <laughs> so that's a yeah. de- that's a de- that's a decade after when Harry met Sally, the first one of this neo traditional movement, which builds us into getting to the dark period. But the two thousand, so like I said, Miss Congeniality came out in two thousand. This is where it shifts a little bit away from. Let's think about what we're doing with this genre to more of the what I would call like the guilty pleasure phase, mm. the pejorative chick flicks, mm-hmm. where the reason the movies became so redundant is because they kept getting made in the same way and they're cheaper to make and almost uh, eating its own tail. Like the, the it was, right. a, you would watch these in your home with a pint of ice cream because that's how it, it was good and <laughs> made it you became, feel. Good. But from then, from the studio then, standpoint, it became how many they could put out a year, yeah. how many they could package. Oh, we get this per they we get these two cast members together. Oh, and in that's in San Francisco. Perfect. <laughs> this one's in Europe. Okay, great. And then this one yeah. will be through the safari. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like for ten years this was the standard studio fodder through yeah. the 2000s and it seemed like you could go to the movie theater on any given weekend and have your choice between at least two or three romantic comedies. Right. And the and the true nail in the coffin being that like the woman eating the pint of ice cream watching this would be the start of one of these movies. Like exactly. it was <laughs> That yeah. is Meg Ryan at the beginning of like well, well what does love what does modern love look like for me? Uh, yeah. You know like <laughs> Right. And, st- that, and that's an example of how to reinvent it over mm-hmm. and over again. And then the other thing being that gender politics, heteronormativity, whiteness, this was also changing, but it was not changing in the movies themselves. The numbers, again, really don't lie. So Pretty Woman in 90 had a $14 million budget and made $450 million worldwide mm. or thereabouts. And then My Best Friend's Wedding, which was in 97, so seven years later, with Julia Roberts, again, Cameron Diaz, $38 million budget and brought in $300 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. But then once we start getting into the dark period in the, into the 2000s, like the proposal 
with Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Right. But that's a perfect example of when we, I think, audiences started, you know, smelling the formula. Right. The packaging of it all. (laughs) Uh, I had forgotten about that movie until you said it, the title, (laughs) and I instantly remembered everything at the trailer, the cover art. I went, this is, this is the The same thing of the, this, this is the, the essence of what was happening at the time and why it just glazed over, at least me. Yeah. And I didn't even realize when these things disappeared. Right. <laughs> so like Fool's Gold, Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey, right. only 111 million on a 70 million budget. So the budgets are getting higher. Oh, yeah. And they're close to not breaking even. So this Gosh. this is what we're talking about with then it just becomes movies about casual relationships, but it's not specific enough like right. these other things, these other ideas. So I, I kind of tracked a couple reasons that I would say that it declined. One of them, as we're saying, all these names that you're recognizing, finding stars that have chemistry. Right. A lot of that is because stars don't want to do 10 rom-coms in a row. Right. That's the change of the studio system and other things where it's like, oh, yeah, we'll loan you Clark Gable from the like, 30s. Like, do you know then- how crazy it is that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan starred in like that many movies together? <laughs> like, it's bananas that they were like, okay, with doing that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's just not it's how not, things are done anymore. It's not what yeah. you don't want to do that. You, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be Tom Hanks and Meg. You know? <laughs> so that's a, a vestige of the past. And then what replaced that in the 2000s is these bawdier, male-centered, straight-up almost comedies, like the all the Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen. There's still a light romantic element to all of them, right? if not an overt element to them, but it isn't the same style or tone. Right, by as... the, by, in that film, we've got knocked up where now these yeah. two people have a literal child <laughs> share, that they share between them, but will they be together? <laughs> yeah, but the, the, this, the tone is not the optimistic rom-com with the, chem- no, with the chemistry the, between them. You're ones. on the other yeah. side of the fence. That's how far it had gone. It was like, well, let's go to the other side of this where you like you have passed the point of no return and now you're still unsure, which mm-hmm. that's an that again, that's an example of how to reinvent it. Well, we've done this, but we've never traversed <laughs> to the other side, yeah. gone a little risque. That's when I'm thinking about genre, I'm starting to respect knocked up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a place for it, but but when people are saying like, oh, it's dead, you're right, the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan stuff sort of got replaced yeah. with this. Yes. What also got replaced is directors as a fixture of the genre. So like John Ford with Westerns, Hitchcock with thrillers, Spielberg with blockbusters, who then shepherds JJ Abrams right. on, et cetera. Right. Who can be the figurehead of this? The iconic ones have passed or moved on. Nora Ephron passed away. Who is who did going she train? To, yeah. yeah, I mean, who, you know, like who took up that mantle? And I can't, uh, nobody. You know, <laughs> <laughs> who's the rom com director in the same way that you think of these right, other directors? Right. It just didn't happen. The reason number three that that didn't happen is studios are moving away from mid budget movies, which we've talked yes. about before. Rom coms, melodramas. The twenty to forty million yeah. dollar movie disappeared and is still very much gone. Yeah. Um. She. It, it, she. Nancy Meyer was actually one of these figureheads in the two thousands. That was a rom-com director. She did What Woman Wants, Something's Gotta Mm, Give, mm -hmm. The Holiday. She went on hiatus from the genre entirely. She almost had a two-decade perfect track record of profit, and they just still would not fund her mid-budget rom-coms. What in the world? So, yeah, so the numbers on that, 7% of ticket sales in the mid-2000s were to rom-coms, which is pretty small still, but it Mm -hmm. was less than 1% in 2015, almost a decade later. Yeah, this is this is so fascinating that this has happened over the last decade, and I didn't even consider it until 
you know, yeah. these, these, the last two weeks, <laughs> that these movies all but disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is why Marry Me stuck out to us because it it's it you wouldn't number one it is based on a book which we're not going to get into <laughs> but like that's crazy in itself but like yeah when when I saw the trailer for it I went I haven't seen a trailer for a movie like this in a long time I started to feel weird like because I missed something I never liked yeah <laughs> but not that I didn't you know like mm-hmm. and I have to admit like I you know like. 13 going on 30 is one of my absolute favorite favorite movies. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And probably my my top 15 easy. I did not notice these mm-hmm. things completely disappearing from cinemas. Yeah. Some of the cultural stuff and the reason maybe it wasn't noticed is because cultural things also changed. It, it sort of hurt that audiences or critics spoke about them in a certain way, like constantly being deemed chick flicks, give it right. this unworthiness of serious consideration. And yeah, then also it's almost the, like it would be relegated to streaming fodder now. Right. Like that is exactly where and when you want it, and that would be where you would make it. Now, from a studio perspective, what you would make it exactly yeah. for. And then with that negative assumption of the material, it's also then people are tired of the notion of a woman's life being incomplete if she's single into Absolutely. the 2000s. A lot of that Absolutely. is changing. And then the real-life negative side effects. I'll post the link. There's some studies, and it has, has to be loose, but on the effect of expectations with real life – Versus is like, do I wa- is watching rom coms bad for your love life? <laughs> there was a study that deemed that people watched ones that had something to do with pursuing love at all costs. Mm-hmm. They were more okay with stalking. In yeah, it was oh like these oh. these loose correlations, but even still, like we we covered that in our episode on you that is right. making yes. a stab at that. But that then becomes a thought in the two thousands as we become more media literate. Of is this actually helping me? With right. my with my love life, and then the last piece. Well, I want to yeah, go, go back to 2015. The one percent rom com, the one percent rom com ticket sales. Is that just train wreck? <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> is yeah. that is that just Judd Apatel and Amy and Amy Schumer's train wreck? Because I'm like, this might be one of the ones that popped up over the last decade that I actually did see and remember, yeah. and like, okay, they did put money behind this. It was a success, but it did not spawn yeah. a bunch of like a bunch of sequels or people trying to imitate it and redo it. Yeah. It did not breathe life into the genre. While it was funny, it was still just a flash in the pan. So I was yeah. just and that one percent. <laughs> less than one percent like, yeah. yeah i'm like that had to be just be that one movie <laughs> yeah but that's also the piece of oh well who's going to want to do this 10 times in a row like we said before there's a, the, all the factors coalesce the last but, one being it's the same white faces that we've seen over and over again right i saw that somebody looked at the top 80 romantic comedies in this time frame and 93 percent of them are between a straight white man and a straight white woman so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the 2000s, that is completely declining as far as what are we seeing in real life? Is that the case? No. So that leads us to, and you had mentioned what's happening now, streaming services filling the demand. (laughs) This is where romantic comedies have gone, not to die, but to thrive. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> they're they're let free in their pasture to roam <laughs> and, and run as fast as they get to they get all the all the snacks they want. It's yeah. Valentine's Day every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Netflix has become a leading producer in the genre and the <laughs> business side of it, because whereas studios wanted to reach the broadest audience with the most appeal, so you get Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks over and over again streaming. <laughs> with the algorithms, wants to appeal to very specific audiences and a lot of them. So this is where you're getting 
I mean, still it follows Sturgeon's law where most of them follow the same tropes and structure right. and they're mediocre and just filler, but maybe they're more diverse or they're focusing on the teen demographic, a la Kissing Booth, who has interesting even, casting, yeah. you know, all the to all the boys I loved before, yeah, yeah. all that kind of thing. Being able to put put it in a little bit of a different place, being a yeah. very specific, which I'm always please be specific. <laughs> um, that, that's where that uh, yeah. uh, people find relevance and empathy in the specificity of mm-hmm. things, even if it's something you can't relate to if you can emote to some, if you can relate to it you're good yeah. but i i oh man <laughs> <laughs> well the last piece with this with streaming is the format itself so you're talking about oh i haven't seen a trailer for this like marry me and it's because a lot of it has come down to tv series and maybe mm. this in my mind has to do with the thoughts on culture as it relates to relationships where we are seeing them as more of a process and a longer thing and it's not just a wedding at the two-hour plot, yeah, yeah. And why that works now is kind of like in the 1930s, like what love is like, where marriage is the end goal. I found that those 18 or older that are married has gone down 22 percent from 1960 in the U.S. Really, and the number of adults living alone has gone up to 42 percent. Oh wow! So these ideas in these movies of oh, this is a crazy coincidence, and then we meet, and then we fall in love, but it's not right, but yes, it is, and now we're together forever. People prefer TV series like Insecure Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Jane the Virgin, where it's a process, and you see the ups and downs, and maybe the end goal is not we're getting married, and that's the end. So that, I think, is where we sit with the streaming services, that they're able to provide some different things than people remember from the 90s as being this. And they still, like I said, they still follow a lot of the tropes and structure and the what yeah. makes the genre work. Will it, or will it, will they, will they won't get together in the end? There was a 2015 um, independent romantic comedy that I want to throw out there. It's just uh-huh. a recommendation, a film I really adore. Um, it's called People, Places, Things. It stars Jermaine Clement from Fly to the Concords and Regina Hall, who's a, a big star, one of my favorite actresses uh, uh-huh. from the Scary Movie fran- uh, franchise. So she's a she's a black actress. He is a New Zealand actor, uh, and it is about him um, being a graphic novelist and a teacher, balancing parenting his twin daughters in the middle of a divorce and beginning to see a new woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in terms of just a different perspectives to put this uh in different types of casting uh you know uh, trying to get some more uh, positivity but on the other side of the you know it's not burgeoning burgeoning love (laughs) it is how can i start again after in a very specific Mm -hmm. very modern uh beautiful way so i just wanted to throw that out as a personal record i don't we don't do things on things that just (laughs) i like uh (laughs) so this is a personal one that that i did happen to catch it came out in 2015 that uh that i that i really do recommend as being just specific and modern and fresh in terms of you're looking for something that's a little less cynical but modern culturally of you know up to date this this is this is what you want and we'll post links to all the stuff that we talked about if you want to see any of the trailers or watch any of the, <laughs> any of the pieces of media that we mentioned in this that'll all be in the show notes i wonder what we would even call this new era or it's it's kind of like it's being built up you know yeah. and you yeah. and there isn't a lineage that to follow no. in the sense of like crazy rich asians was really popular because it did do a lot of these things but then is it What's what's following that? 
the director goes on to do something else. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't. Know. Uh, We're missing that person. We're missing the Nora Ephron, the the shepherder of the genre. Mm -hmm. And I think that before too long, you will see somebody emerge in the space that has something new to say that's unlike what the where the genre has been before mm -hmm. that will have a new statement to say this is where we can go with it and I think as soon as that vision is is brought with one one or two movies people will get on board and i think that's what i i foresee that happening within the next decade as you'll you'll yeah. see another nora efron emerge uh with a, a updated modern look on what a, a romantic comedy formula could really be yeah or to our audience, is that person already out there? Yeah, who they, they are they? Very well, might yeah. probably is already has a, a big, great amount of work under their wing already, and I'm yeah. just an ignorant <laughs> jerk. <laughs> but that's where you come in, audience. Please reach out to us at Illiterate Pod. Let us know what you think about the rom com genre and, it and where it's going. Yeah, what did we miss? Did we miss like a big one that everyone loved, and we would just have no idea because that's totally a thing that could happen. Yeah, um, and then if you've if you've hung along with us, Evan had some thoughts on the Oscars that are coming out recently. The Oscar nominations were just released, and what do you know? We are all over it. Um, so if, if you don't follow along every week, now is a good time to look back, look at the nominations, um, because we have episodes on so many of these. Uh, don't Look Up, Dune, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, Being the Ricardos, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Cruella, No Time to Die. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so for yeah. real. Uh, and, and so we take a look back through our episodes and catch up on the nominations. Um, I think that the show is the 27th of February, so there's a couple weeks, and we'll see what we'll be talking about on the back end of the Oscars. So, uh, yeah. But if you want to know why people are talking about these, why they got nominated, uh, the backstory behind it all. If you were listening last week, I told you Jessica Chastain would get nominated. <laughs> I flat out, I didn't, I did not say she will be nominated for an Academy Award, but for the first time I walked away from a movie going, Jessica Chastain <laughs> killed it. Yeah. Like she's always good, but she's always like, she's always Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain was nowhere to be seen in Eyes of Tammy Faye. So I just wanted to, wanted to throw that out there. But thank you guys for listening so yeah. much. Uh, really appreciate you sticking with us. Yeah. Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram and we will catch you next week.